Hello, my name is Philip Camilla, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now in the introduction to this show... We talk about how there's no field of thought that's off limits. I like talking about the big issues here and trying to bring them down to earth. You know, we talk about the Big Bang, we talk about evolution, we talk about cosmology. But there's also something in the introduction along the lines of the new rise in consciousness. And this is something that doesn't really get as much attention as it should. We have a lot of books on cosmology, particle physics, evolution, and even the paranormal. But there's something about this rise in consciousness that some folks may have a hard time getting their their arms or mind around. But it turns out that this rise in consciousness, in my opinion, is real. It's natural. And it's documented. And it's also, I think, significant that the rise in consciousness, again, in my opinion, my humble opinion, aligns with the scientific and spiritual revolution we are slowly working our way into. Now, one of the world's leaders in stretching the boundaries of thinking in this area is a returning guest to the show, Richard Barrett. Now, he has a new book that I think breaks ground in this area. The name of the book is A New Psychology of human well-being, an exploration of the influence of ego-soul dynamics on mental and physical health. Now, Richard is an author, speaker, and internationally recognized thought leader on the evolution of human values in business and society. He's the founder and chairman of the Barrett Values Center, a fellow of the World Business Academy, and former values coordinator at the World's Bank. He's joining us from London. His other books, by the way, there's a lot of them, but one of them is The Metrics of Human Consciousness, Evolutionary Coaching, A Values-Based Approach to Unleashing Human Potential, and he's got a lot of books along this area. He's truly a thought leader. Richard, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be with you today. Yes, and we were just talking before we get on that it's a little cloudy in both of our venues, but we're going to we're going to try to open minds here by talking about uh, this new psychology, the rise in consciousness. I've called the show the psychology of the future, and this is something that everybody really should should devote some attention to. And part of this is is sort of bringing this down to earth and making it scientific and specifically I mean this notion of a rise in consciousness now and and what it really means for us and so what we're going to do here is we're going to start with some big principles and then by the end of the show uh, we're going to have Richard talk a little bit about how he has uh, evaluated this rise in consciousness in terms of medical uh, 
health and our spiritual health. In other words, making it real in terms of our physical beings. Now, now, Richard, you, you say in your book, in your new book, that you were really influenced uh, by Maslow and his notion of there being a larger jurisdiction for psychology. So I'd like you to start off by talking about, you know, who Maslow is and how you were influenced or inspired by his thoughts to write your new book. Well, thanks, Phil. Yeah, um, well, Abraham Maslow uh, was one of the leaders of the new movement in psychology, um, and he died um, around the uh, late 60s, early 70s, I believe. I can't remember exactly. Um, and everybody's, uh, or a lot of people are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And uh, what I did uh, over 20 years ago now, I, I took Maslow's idea um, of different levels of need and I made them into levels of consciousness so you have survival consciousness relationship conscious self-esteem conscious and he talked about self-actualization and and in his book towards a, a psychology of human well-being he uh, he indicated that he was excited by this idea of self actualization and different stages he didn't he didn't uh, write down these stages so what i did was i built a model based on maslow which had different stages of psychological development in them or different levels of consciousness and i and i did that by linking Maslow's work with Vedic philosophy, which uh, quite clearly indicates um, four levels of soul activation. And so having brought Vedic philosophy together with Maslow, I created the seven levels of consciousness model and started using it as a tool for measuring consciousness in individuals and in organizations. This proved uh, hugely successful and I've built a worldwide company that does maps the values of organizations by asking employees what values, uh, what, are, what are your values, what values do you see in an organization, what values would you like to see, picking from a template which is customized for that organization. And um, as I said, this has proved to be hugely successful. And then more recently, in the last seven or eight years, um, I realized that this uh, this model could also be uh, seven stages of psychological development so that we grow in stages and we operate at levels. Um, so I may be at the fourth stage, which is individuating, which occurs roughly around 25 to 39. Um, I may be at that individuating stage, but if I lose my savings and, uh, and, and I, I, I lose my house and uh, all my securities, um, I drop down to survival level of consciousness. I don't go back to the survival stage of development, which is not to two years old, that baby stage, but I drop down to that level of consciousness. So we grow in stages and we operate at levels. And so, yeah, I think Maslow was really ahead of his time and I built built on that by taking his model and expanding it and shifting it into levels of consciousness. And, and this is what is really exciting about this, and this is what I really want the listener, i like to have the listener um, sort of pay some, some attention to, is that we are so accustomed 
in the in the Darwinian realm to look at evolution in physical evolution only, sort of from the embryo to the to the baby to the child, a teenager, adult, older age, etc. We're so accustomed to looking at the body from the outside in. And we forget that there's an internal evolution as well. And that is what is exciting about this. And I'd like uh, you, Richard, at this point, really to talk about this, the first, the psychological stages of development, because this is something that it makes so much sense that we, we tend to forget it. And it, it's, to me, it's, it's really exciting, particularly when you get to the higher levels. And then we could move to how, you know, you've associated the psychological evolution with the with the energetic or with the with the soul or the, or the consciousness, the soul evolution. And this. So let's why don't you give us a summary of the of the Maslow or the psychological levels so that folks could 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 link this with our, our next stage of discussion. Okay, Phil. So, um, first thing uh, I, I want to say is I wrote this book to bring the soul back into psychology. Right. 80, 90 years ago, um, uh, Maslow, uh, Carl Jung, uh, Roberto Assagioli all had an understanding of psychology which included the soul. And the last, uh, since that time, um, the academic world has basically taken the soul out of psychology, yeah. and it's become a cognitive thing. And so, one of the reasons I wrote this book was to bring the soul back, Good. really bring it back Good. into uh, this new psychology of human well-being. So, that, let me start just simply with that statement. And now, let me go on to say. The first three stages of development are actually linked to our physical evolution um, in terms of our brain. Um, but I also want to call it mind-brain because it, each of these stages gives us a new mind-brain. So, roughly speaking, uh, from about 10 weeks after gestation, after the baby, uh, after you know you're having a baby, uh, um, uh, the embryo becomes a fetus and um, uh, the reptilian mind brain forms. Now, the reptilian mind brain is the brain, and we call it the body mind, that looks after the functioning of our body. It looks after all of our glands, our endocrine system, and our homeostatic functioning. And, um, yeah, from 10 weeks uh, uh, after the uh, creation uh, of the embryo, uh, this brain is uh, dominant and is attempting to keep the body alive inside the mother's womb. And this brain stays dominant until around the age of about 18 months or two years. Now, what I should say is that during that period from the moment of conception up to 10 weeks before the reptilian mind brain forms, the soul mind, 
The soul mind is the dominant mind, and the subconscious of the soul mind, which if you like, you could say is the species mind, guides the development of the fetus along the lines um, of uh, our human species. So as the, as the reptilian mind became dominant, the soul mind gets pushed into the subconscious. Now around the age of... Uh, Sorry, and that period, up to the age of two, it's all about survival. That's what the reptilian mind-brain is like. It's all about survival. Um, around the age of two, the limbic mind-brain kicks in or becomes more dominant. And um, this mind-brain is all about safety within the parental framework. And this mind uh, stays uh, dominant until around the age of seven or eight when the neocortex becomes uh, dominant. It's been developing in the background and the limbic mind brain is our emotional mind and the neocortex is our rational mind. The rational mind, the, the neocortex, um, becomes dominant around eight and continues growing and developing until around the age of 24. So we don't have a fully functioning adult mind brain until we're in our mid twenties. You know, this explains a lot of things like the fact that how what you know, teenagers do really stupid things yeah. because they're not fully rational. They yeah. haven't got the all they're not uh, don't have the level of complexity in their mind brain yet to be able to handle lots of different situations. And the other thing about this period, not to twenty four, each of these mind brains is is doing what I call emergent learning. They are having experiences and learning from and forming beliefs based on their experiences, which then allow them to uh, function. And when they have similar experiences in the future, they go to their memory and their memory kicks in with the, with the belief that is based on their past experiences and they know what to do. And so we're building up our whole belief system at the reptilian mind-brain, the limbic mind-brain, and at the neocortex mind-brain level during that whole period. Now, if you have a terrible childhood, you're not looked after, even in the womb, if your mother uh, drank alcohol or took drugs, it would affect the functioning of your body, which would put it into crisis and make it difficult. Um, th that body-mind learns imprints about what to do and how to function when things are going wrong. And so uh, everything that we, all our experiences, all the way up to 24 years old, actually become the basis of how we make meaning in the rest of our lives, in our adult lives. And Okay, so let me stop here for a second. Uh, this is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Richard Barrett, the author of the new book, A New Psychology of Human Well-Being, and Richard is one of the thought leaders in this area, and we're talking about uh, soul consciousness and its relationship to psychological development and also physical development. And one thing to me, Richard, that is extremely interesting here that I think you're saying is that we are really at our core souls, energetic beings, and we're going through this physical experience that is really a expression of of the soul coming to know itself is that is that a fair way to put what what you're saying 
Yeah, um, we think uh, we uh, live in a three-dimensional physical material world, um, but that world we live in is a property of our senses, you know, our five senses. Our five senses only sense a very small range of frequencies of vibration uh, because everything that's coming in, light, noise, etc., all frequencies of vibration. And so we're we're operating a little bit like an old radio, which you know you can only get five stations um, because you're operating uh, in this uh, with in this reduced frequencies of vibration uh, whereas the soul is operating well, let's say with 2000 frequencies and by incarnating into the physical body the soul cuts down the number of frequencies of vibration that it can uh, it can intercept by the being and experiencing uh, human life in a physical body. Yeah, okay. But actually, the the soul still is connected to all of these other frequencies, but you, your ego, just doesn't know that. Okay, so this is what is important here f- for me, and that is, from from my perspective, Richard, many of us lose ourselves in what you call the three-dimensional materialistic realm that we think that that's all we are and we don't realize that there's this underlying energy soul whatever we're calling it that is really trying to express itself through the physical realm and and so i think that this is what i really love about this this evolutionary approach you take the stages of development you take and others because it shows that we're sort of like a a flower that of that eventually blossoms at the end of its life but it takes a long time <laughs> and, and so and so so this this contrast between the 3D and the 4D uh, which we, which I've mentioned, I think you've mentioned. Can you maybe elaborate upon that a little bit in, in terms of what you've found uh, to be how that metaphor or how that description describes what's really going on in our development? Yes. Yeah, so we think we live in a three-dimensional material world. We're actually living in a fourth-dimensional energetic world. And that's the world of the soul, and the three-dimensional material world is the world of the ego. The ego gets formed by the soul, by the way, in order to protect itself, because it's very painful for the soul to live in a world um, where, where there is physical pain or emotional pain, because that translated to the soul as a lack of love, and the soul lives lives in this pure energy field of love and so the ego the, the soul forms the ego around 18 months or two years uh, of age um, in order to protect itself so now let's just talk about the difference between three-dimensional world four-dimensional world and to do that I wanted I wanted to look at what a two-dimensional world looks like and what a three-dimensional world looks like and if we can grasp what that looks like we can get an idea of what's the difference between three-dimensional world and a four-dimensional world so you know a two-dimensional world if you just think about it is is a flat land is a flat surface and so if you want we can do an experiment if you like if you if you take your hand and and 
and let the fingers hang down and drop them onto the surface of something in front of you, um, your fingers will touch that surface, this two-dimensional world, um, where there lives a two-dimensional uh, being uh, taking a, a walk with a two-dimensional dog and before you put your fingers into her world there was nothing and today there are five separate circles that's where your fingers touch her world and so she's pretty amazed by these five separate circles and calls a friend who's a two-dimensional scientist who comes over sees these five separate circles and tries to move one of those circles and she succeeds in doing so but then all the other circles follow and so she then moves one of the other circles and after a while all the other circles follow and so she draws up a set of equations to explain how these five separate circles are connected and uh, calls and publishes this in the two-dimensional uh, university press and uh, other scientists come along and uh, and repeat the experiments and they think they're all they're, they know all there is to know about the five separate circles whereas you and I know that these are not five separate circles they're actually connected at a higher level height this person two-dimensional world we don't know height we only still know length and breadth and so they can't see that connection and so but we know it exists and this is exactly the way we are with our three-dimensional world and our four-dimensional world we can't see the connections that are happening within those energetic frequencies but we can experience them um, it's a little bit like uh, you know if you take a comb and you cover up the top half of your comb so you just see the teeth that's how we look we yeah. are separate teeth separate human beings when you uncover the top half of the comb you see we're all connected because actually we're all individuated aspects of the same universal energy field at the level of the soul and that's who we are i i really like that description because those who have read anything about super string theory one of the features of super string theory um which which i think is is complete speculation but but they in order for that theory to work there needs to be about 11 dimensions and then people ask well where are these other dimensions and the answer is well they're hidden away so we can't see them they're compactified there's all these if you if you do research in, in, in super strength theory and you try to figure out where these dimensions are it's there's some uh, sort of speculation that they must be hidden. And what are they really, folks? They're really mathematical constructs to make the theory work. But now when we when we use extra dimensions in the spiritual realm or in the consciousness realm, it's different because, to me, Richard, there is a connection between what we could call the energy field, the spiritual field, the consciousness, the God field, whatever field, whatever term you want to use, mind field, there, there is a connection because we feel it, right? You nailed, you nailed it, Phil. Yeah. See, feeling is how we connect to the fourth dimensional uh, of existence. You see, uh, I talk about ego-soul dynamics in the book, and um, the ego-soul dynamic being an energetic juxtaposition of the fear of the ego against the love energy of the soul and, and our emotions, are a reflection of this juxtaposition of fear against love. Now, that happens in the energy field, and so we experience an emotion, but we cognitively know about 
about that emotion through our feelings. And so exploring your feelings uh, is a pathway into soul consciousness. Other pathways into soul consciousness are things like uh, synchronicity, right. unconnected events, which are common meaning. Um, if we follow those, we begin to see that there is an overarching energetic framework to our existence. And if you live, if you actually surrender to the soul, um, I have found in, in my later life, as I've done that, that all my needs are met because the soul organizes my life through all of its connections to other souls in such a way that all my needs are met before I even know I have them. Hmm. And, you know, that's a, an amazing way to live. And why? Because the soul wants to self-express, it wants to connect, and it wants to contribute, and I've got my ego so much out of the way, or my fears of my ego, let me put it that way, so much out of the way now, that my soul, uh, my energetic uh, hmm, my energetic body is in total alignment with the love energy of the soul. And that shows up, not just in in, in, a, in a life worth living and not only through meaning and purpose and making a difference and service but it all shows up as a healthy body because there's no fear-based energy uh, within the energy field which is um, which is impacting the physical body from the energy level and so you know at 72 years of age I'm very young I'm very vital I'm very energetic uh, because I'm living in soul consciousness. Yeah, well, this this is something that, again, is, to me, really exciting, and we're going to be uh, talking about how this uh, idea translates into uh, to better well-being uh, that Richard just alluded to. But I want to go back to something to bring this together because I sort of interrupted you when you were going through the stages of development, and I don't want to forget about the higher levels of development. You were talking about how that a human doesn't become sort of uh, individuating, maybe is the word, or an individual until they're in their 20s, but then there's these additional stages. Right. And, and and I want to I want you to talk about them because those of us who are who are getting a little older, this is great for us. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is good Absolutely. stuff. Yeah, and yeah. this this is okay, I tell, so pe I I tell it, people I, I, you know, I tell people you know the stage of development not right. to twenty four years old <laughs> right. um, and uh, all your experiences at those level create beliefs which then and which form your personality yeah. and by the time you're twenty five you've got a personality which is the mask that you wear to get the needs met in your parental and cultural framework of existence you've brought up been brought up inside these frameworks and and you You've been trying to get your survival, your safety, and your security needs met, and that's your personality. But it's not who you are. Um, uh, it's not your sole character. And so some, by this age, some people are very, very troubled and never, are never able to move beyond what I call the differentiating stage, the surviving stage, conforming stage, differentiating stage. Now, but next comes... Um, 
the individuating stage, which Carl Jung spent a lot of time thinking about and talking about, which is when you let go of the fears that you learned about getting your needs met in these frameworks of existence and become more fully who you are. Um, and you begin to look at your beliefs and explore your values. And uh, during this period, what really what you're looking for is the freedom and autonomy to find out who you were and experiment with your life. Um, if you successfully manage that period, by the way, most people living in repressive regimes like the former USSR, uh, North Korea, etc., etc., never uh, find it really difficult to get through that stage, not because they don't want to, it's because they could get locked up or shot for expressing their freedom and expressing their thoughts. Right. So, if you live in a liberal democracy, you're already got a you know you got a head start in terms of your stages of psychological development. Because, and if you were born to self-actualized parents, you have a head start because they didn't force you into a particular mold. So now we've moved through the individuating stage. Now we enter the forties and. This is the first stage of soul activation, and this is when we begin to, the ego looks for meaning and purpose, but the soul is looking for self-expression. And we go through the 40s, that's what we're doing. We're trying to find the meaning to our lives and our purpose and the things that we love to do, and we want to do more of those. And we get to that point where we want to make a difference in the world, and that's in the 50s. But we realize that we can't really make a difference until we can connect so the ego is wanting to make a difference. The soul is wanting to connect with other people. So connection becomes really important in the 50s. Then, as you've been making a difference, became a way of life, and you were able to connect, you move to the serving stage, which starts in the 60s. And the serving stage is all about contribution. Now, um, this is about um, having found your meaning, you're making a difference and now you want to live a life of service basically uh, for the good of humanity because now you've reached a level of consciousness where you begin to recognize that we're all individuated aspects of the universal energy field and that when I give to you Phil I'm giving to myself another aspect of myself and that's gives you that's the consciousness part of it and that's when you get to that stage you're, you can really live the life of your soul so there's it's, it's a hard journey and there's lots of ways we can fail on that journey and there are lots of pitfalls along the way and uh, as we will discuss later um, when you fail to master one of these stages of development it finishes you finish up with uh, uh, mental disorders which could be anxiety neurosis etc etc um, but which eventually also because it's a the failure creates an energy uh, imbalance in your energy field uh, these failures lead up lead to um, problems with our physiology and uh, different uh, causes of death which are all linked back to the failure to meet the stages the needs of the stages of development this is philip camella this is conversations beyond science and religion i'm speaking with richard barrett a thought leader in the area of psychology and human development his new book is called a new psychology of human well-being which is really a groundbreaking study in uniting psychological development with soul 
and consciousness development. And I think there's a couple important things here, Richard, to emphasize with regard to what you've said in your book, and that is the this model of development, the Maslow model, the, your model, Wilbur's model, this is really a model. People can be different. When you when you say, and I, I assume you're, that you would agree with this, that that these are general approximations that people reach these stages at different ages. Some people never reach the higher stages. Some people are constrained in the lower stages. It is it is it is hopeful though, and I think an optimistic viewpoint that as we get older in the soul time scale that is a good thing and this is what i like this is what is so good about this as you get older this is a positive thing we we think that we as we get older our body deteriorates which in some cases is true but the soul rises the soul improves and what is so cool about this and that i am all in is that we have to align the body with the soul development, right? Because because if we do that, then that is the key to longer life, to a longer, healthier life, and that that is that is what where I think um, this particular angle that you take, and I I I take I take the same thing. I mean, it's it's somewhat ironic that I have a article I'm just about done with, sort of. It's similar. It's called uh, "The Body Must Die So the People Can Live," something like that. And because we need to kill off this this three D uh, emphasis, this fixation that we're only material beings, because that leads to death. That leads to nowhere. <laughs> Illness. We have to do the best we can to ride out this soul evolution. So. So, so let's let's move to the health part of this more specifically because this is really exciting. That you you did something that I don't think anyone else has done uh, along the lines you've done it, which is that you researched the various causes of death and illness in different countries, and you try to um, associate that with the stages of development. So, so why don't because we don't you know we don't have time to get all detailed with this but but let's let's pick out a couple here whether it's cancer or alzheimer's or something and i'd like to have you talk about what your logic was in doing this because this this is really and folks this is where sort of open-minded thinkers like richard barrett really contribute because this is this is a this is what i would call a visionary kind of of a of an analysis as opposed to sort of a regurgitation. Uh, and so uh, with that introduction, Richard, <laughs> um, <laughs> which, which, is, which is a little long-winded, but I'd like you to talk about, you know, how you approach this, this study you did uh, with health versus soul development. Okay, so, so so my starting point was, uh, and this was, you know, uh, one or two years of deep research, but my starting point was, look, we're energetic beings, that's the fundamental thing. Um, 
when you die uh, we say okay so the body dies okay but the, the energy field which is behind the body on, on which the body hangs if you like um, doesn't die it just continues and so dying means simply that uh, you're no longer aware of the three-dimensional material awareness you, you let go of the constraints of your senses uh, that keep you anchored into three-dimensional material awareness and you slip back into who you really are this fourth dimensional energetic being and so and so th this this idea is well known in in eastern philosophy and uh, and curing the energy field is uh, very well known in in china through acupuncture and so i'm thinking to myself well okay so this is this is the truth how do we get sick well we we get sick um, at different stages uh, by failing to uh, meet the needs um, of that particular stage of psychological development and um, so let me give you some examples that you're asking for I'll, I'll pick three um, I'll pick something that, that, that I'll pick uh, four actually um, the first is what's known as cot death this is a when babies die, usually in the first year, and they can't uh, figure out why they died, they can do a post-mortem, and the only conclusion they can come to is basically the heart stopped beating. Now, if that happened to you, uh, I don't want you to think that uh, it, you know, this was your fault. Okay, but what happens is the soul incarnates into this um, into this uh, embryo. The embryo becomes a fetus, and um, the, the 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 reptilian mind takes over, and um, the soul finds this experience of being in a physical body very painful. Um, painful so what is pain pain it, for the soul is a lack of love because it lives in an energy field of love and so anything that where fear comes up which is a low frequency of vibration is is uh, regarded by the soul as pain and some um, babies are young souls who've never experienced this three-dimensional material awareness before and find it extremely painful and for various reasons may then simply decide to learn to no longer continue that experiment and they just they just the baby just dies but actually simply the the consciousness and the soul just pulls back from the three-dimensional material existence one example second example i've had several friends of mine who've died suddenly in their late 40s and early 50s and that again comes back to the pain that the soul was carrying now in all of these cases these friends of mine had really difficult childhood experiences particularly um, whilst in the womb and during the first two three years of their life they weren't loved enough they didn't get their needs met and so the reptilian mind brain in order to go on functioning um, repressed this pain to the subconscious of the reptilian mind brain which was the soul mind and um, the soul mind actually um, is uh, it, 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 
is linked to the fourth level of consciousness it's the fourth chakra in our body the heart chakra and so that pain that pain is repressed at that level until we get to the point in our lives when it's time for individuation which starts in the in our 20 late 20s and continues into our 30s and so at that point we're now accessing the chakra which is linked to the heart and we're accessing that pain now um, is being opened up and so gradually in our in our as we pass through our 40s this pain becomes greater and greater as we try to access that level of our existence and uh, and it culminates in our late 40s as a heart attack yeah. uh, and our early 50s look at what we're doing here and, and what what Richard is doing is that we he is aligning uh, physical ailments the leading causes of death with soul development and 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 folks that may sound really strange to a lot of people but here's to me what the beauty of it is and that is if there is an energetic realm and we we would try to use the most scientific term possible i think energetics pretty good it's better than maybe one mind or spiritual realm then that means that that realm has to be honored it has to we have to pay attention to it and when we don't uh, conform our lives with the soul development there is a discord there's a there's a misalignment and you know when, when you know again Richard even though um, you put together Concepts in an original way, you are exactly right. I mean, it sounds a little bit like the Tao, uh, which I love. You know, the flow of the universe. Get yourself in in tune with the flow. It's very similar. I mean, do you do you? And, and by the way, do you see? Um, I, I assume that you that there in your mind there are similarities between what you're saying and Eastern um, philosophy on this on this point. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what I tried to do is I draw from many, many different um, uh, cosmologies when I write my books, and I say to myself, okay, so they're all right to right. a certain extent. Yeah. So how can I, yeah. in building this cosmology that you have in front of you, Phil, right. Right. how can I honor that? Right. And does it align? And that's what I do. Yeah, and and so there there is something, you know, Richard, as you know, in, there are various religions, and I think the Church of the Latter Day Saints is one of them. And I don't, and um, I have not deeply researched this particular point. But there's there's many medical doctors that would criticize uh, certain religions who look to God, so to speak, to cure illnesses. You know, there whether there there's there's many examples of of of, situ, of cases where a person has a treatable ailment, whether it's pneumonia or perhaps cancer or something, and and they'll say, well, I don't believe in me, in modern medicine. I will let I will pray. I'll say the rosary fifty three times. I'll, I'll I'll rely upon the spiritual uh, cures. How would you compare your approach with that line of thinking? 
Okay, so these are two opposite lines of thinking, okay. you know, the f- fully material world and the fully spiritual world. Yeah. And, you know, then it's, there's no doubt that prayer has some effect. But the fundamental, I like kind of like in a little bit in the middle, but towards the spiritual side, because yeah. what I'm saying here is that the, that the energy of fear in your subconscious beliefs, or no matter how you experience the energy of fear, is influencing the ego soul dynamics of your body or the influence in the energy field and it is causing it is causing this disturbance in that field which is resulting in a, a, a physical dysfunction and so uh, yes you can pray but the most important thing for me is to examine where in your body you are holding this fear of the fear-based beliefs and I say where in your body because each stage of psychological development is linked to one of the chakras and the chakras are linked to the endocrine glands and the endocrine glands are linked to a part of the body and so if you are failing at the uh, as I said at the individuating stage that's affecting your heart um, so so, so my philosophy lies between these two, um, and there comes a point where the pain that you're experiencing or the illness, you, you know, you at the end you have to deal with the body, and 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 maybe you can cure that through an intervention at the medical level. But if you catch it earlier enough, you can cure it through an intervention at the mind level and 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 by getting the releasing the energy the negative fear-based energy that is lying in the body's uh, energy field and releasing that and through that um healing yourself now as you know phil and you probably had this on your show people talk about the placebo effect well here's an interesting example i give in the book um some surgeons decided to do placebo surgery what does that mean they they had um people with a particular knee problem and so they split them into three groups they did surgery two different types of surgery on that knee problem with two groups and the third group um, they simply uh, put the person to sleep uh, made a a slight cut uh, in the skin and then sewed it up again and um, all three groups um, were cured. Everybody in all of the, all, all, the the results from those who never actually actually had the surgery were just the same as those who had the surgery. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, that's like wow. That's unbelievable. I mean, I don't I don't think that we have given enough attention to the placebo effect. I think it is. It I think the attention is increasing. But I think that it, it, it sort of proves the point uh, that there is a deeper basis, foundation to the physical body than genes. Let me put it that way. That, yeah, and, 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 it, and it, beliefs it, are that yeah, deep. Right, right. And, beliefs. And, and this, yeah, you this, know, the quantum reality beliefs <laughs> impact uh, the reality at the quantum level. Yeah, and this is something that... Um, you know, we we are more and more coming in tune with my last two shows were, are sort of leading to this because the, the the last show with Perry Sherman we talked about the flaws in Darwinian evolution and and the and the flaw in thinking that we're only made of little particles. But but let me let me ta- let me ask a very 
basic question from a which which some people may be wondering because I am from a practical level how does one allow intervention at the mind level how how does one how does one uh, treat themselves feel themselves well what, um, what, what can you do so um I wrote another book, Phil, called What My Soul Told Me, A Practical Guide to Soul Activation. And there are the four stages of soul activation which correspond to the four higher stages of development that we've been talking about. And in that book, uh, What My Soul Told Me, I actually uh, give you uh, uh, recipes for dealing with your mind thoughts uh, in order to overcome any fears that you have so uh, let me uh, let me give you talk about one or two of those uh, the first is um, um, everything that happens in life uh, you give it all the meaning it has for you you and I can experience exactly the same thing we give it a different meaning but through our beliefs and so we always create our reality through our beliefs so that any time I feel uh, upset or um, out of sorts, uh, angry, etc., impatient. I say to myself, Richard, I notice that you are allowing your energy field to get into instability. Uh, what is the fear that you have which is causing that? And then I examine the fear and try to let go of that fear and prove to myself that that fear, it, 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 I can let go of it. I don't need it. Or I can find out where I learned that fear. Now here's the point, uh, all pain is positive, whether it's physical pain or um, emotional pain, because it's pointing right at, right at what you need to work on, because pain is energetic instability in the body, and that energetic instability is part of, is, is somehow involved in an ego-soul dynamic between fear and love. So every time you feel upset or angry, uh, you you're basically out of alignment with your soul and you need to examine the belief that you have which is creating that alignment so here's another example um, so whenever I feel I'm getting upset I say to myself I have no needs because the reason we get upset is that our needs are not being met that's the simple reason and then I remind myself I have no needs and what does that mean it means well um, I know that if I move into soul consciousness my needs all my needs will be met because I've lived I live that and so um, whenever I'm upset I simply say to myself I have no needs and immediately uh, I, I, I release the fear behind the anger or the anxiety, which was all about me, uh, which was caused by the fact that I wasn't getting my needs met. Um, um, so, yeah, that's yeah, you know, yeah, that's good. There that's, are lots of different techniques you can use. Yeah, that's good, and, and I've been through this a number of times, and. I think the challenge is for those who are in the business world, and I am a practicing lawyer, and I do litigation, and it is uh, adversarial in many ways. It's stressful uh, because it, because of the client demands and and the uh, and the need to show results, and people tend not to do what you'd like them to do, and so there's a lot of um, persuasion, coercion, um, antagonism. And I think that uh, 
bringing these concepts into the real world, the corporate business world, is is really challenging. Now, I know you've done that and you've coached. Can you give any any advice for for folks in the in in, in more of a you know? a rough-and-tumble kind of profession, whether it's a stock trading or even the medical profession, and my profession is one of them. I mean, what do you tell folks who, who, are, who are sort of in the trenches fighting it out on, on how to, on how to uh, you know, sort of do this intervention? Okay, so, um, you know, my world is the business world. I yeah. built up my business by uh, mapping the values and measuring the consciousness of organizations all over the world and mapping the values of leaders. And so now, once I get into this leaders thing, uh, we get right, right to the source of the, your question here. So we have something called a leadership values assessment, um, which broadly speaking asks a leader to go online and pick 10 values that they think they're operating with. And they ask 15 people, um, they choose those people, 15 to 20 people to go online and pick 10 values that they see uh, that leader operating with. And they can pick positive words like creativity, openness and trust. And they can pick what I call potentially limiting words like demanding, blame, internal competition, power seeking, etc. And so what we do then is we, we, we juxtapose the leader's, uh, the leader's uh, values, how the leader sees himself, against the top 10 values of how that leader is seen. And we add up all of the votes for, for those limiting values. And that becomes what's known as personal entropy. So if, if uh, 25% of the people had 10 words to pick to describe the leader, if, if, if you've got 10 people picking 10 words, that's 100 words. And if 25% of them were these limiting values. That's 25% personal entropy. Now, that's a lot. What we're looking for is like less than 5%. This person, that means that this person is operating from a fear-based belief system, which they learned when probably when they were young, going through those early stages of development that we, we had. And so now we're into a coaching session with that particular leader. And I'm saying to that leader, so these values that you have, and there are no limiting values there, and they're quite good values by the way and they must have helped you but look this is how you're coming across and so when people say you're demanding you're controlling how do you think that is helping you to meet your needs yeah. and of course it isn't and they see it right away and, yeah. they, and they're just not aware how they're coming across and they're not aware that they're operating from their fear-based beliefs and now if, if during that coaching session they take that on board and they begin to recognize that they don't have to operate that way and in fact operating that way is counterproductive from get, getting their needs met they begin to change yeah and that's we do thousands of those every year yeah well i think i think that is i think that's really um that's that's good and it's it's a challenge in the real world and again it's something that i think gets better as you get older uh i i tell people as i'm preparing them i mean the classic preparation for a deposition is to tell people to pause uh before you answer a question and i think that this this notion of pausing and and asking yourself the question you know i have no needs or what needs do i have because frankly 
I think that most people would say my need is is to a maintain my style of my my style of living or to pay my bills or not to get fired. You know, there's a lot of pressure, as you I'm sure you know, uh, mm-hmm. from people in the business world, uh, particularly in the sales area, where there's quotas and there's targets and there's the need to increase profits. I mean, the, the the juxtaposition between the the corporate business needs and what we're talking about is there's it's quite it's quite sharp. Very you know very much so. I, I mean, I re, I'm in business. I run a company. I yeah, know how. Yeah. I know about all about this. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and we operate in a completely different way. We operate from uh, you know the basis of love. We operate from the basis of enough. Okay, you know. So what is enough? Enough is enough uh, to be able to maintain a standard of living and uh, or to to. to to meet your basic needs, we're, we're not into, you know, uh, greed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and we're into honesty, and we're into trust, and we're into serving the higher needs of a particular person. So when you get in some people in conflict, you know, the question is always, what, which of your needs are not being met? Yeah. Right now, in that deposition, you're sitting here, which of your needs are not being met? And they will say something, then you say, is that true? Is that honestly true? You may believe it, but think about it, is that true? That need is not being met. And it helps people to to, to be a little bit more rational, because what's happening is you're, you're tapping into... You're tapping into the emotional upsets of many years ago when they didn't get their needs met in childhood. I mean, a good example of this is our friend, uh, the President of the United States, who wrote a book on leadership. And in that book, you can find his top 10 values. And uh, he he has a whole chapter on revenge because he didn't get his needs met when he was um, three, four, five, six or seven years old. And so now he's full of anger about not getting his needs met and he projects that out into the world he's also got the value he has a whole chapter on ruthlessness you know and that's because he didn't get his needs met in the first two years of his life and he he has to be he had a really hard time donald trump yeah yeah and there is this is this is really um something else and i think that uh what i would say here in closing or near closing is that to me it gives us a broader perspective on the human being we're no longer just looking at the survival of the fittest of the strongest the richest the smartest we're looking at the the whole being down to the soul and and i and there's a lot there's so much here i i want to add that this is not what i would call new age fluff uh, as witness as evidenced by so many books out there right now, I think it's I think most people would agree that there is a spiritual energetic realm the the attention that we've had that the public has had on uh, near death experiences, the proof of heaven uh, phenomena and and all of the all the interest in religion and spirituality shows that we are really a a um, a group of of, uh, of living beings in need of something more. Uh, I I um, I was I always like to read the you know the the last sentence of books like yours, and I was 
I was really happy when you get to the end of the book, you talk about, it says, the, the last sentence, and I, I don't think I'm ruining this, it says, if you want to be happy and fulfilled, do not think of your life in terms of achievement and success, but in terms of being the best person you can become. And I, I think that that is really, I mean, to me, uh, Richard, just my own my own thing in, in law, which I've been doing for about 35 years now, uh, is that I'm is that I try to think about integrity, that I want to be known to be to have integrity, and and so, and that's sort of the same thing. You know, I may not win every time. I may not, uh, you know, have the best result. Although usually I I, I would try to, but but living the life of integrity, um, I think that corresponds to what to what you're saying in your book. Uh, Absolutely. And, and, and Absolutely. That's that's alignment. Integrity is alignment. Inner alignment. And and so um, the last thing um, I would I would add, and I like you to talk about some of your um, some some of the other things you're doing and how to on, on, and how to get your book. But you know, Richard, I, I think that what's what's missing from these analyses. And where I come down on this is that I I think that it takes a critical mass of people for um, for true improvement. Uh, in other words, I, I think that these the the soul journey, the evolution is it has to be done at an individual level. But the more people that go down this path, I think the po- the more powerful this approach would be. And I wonder if you if you would agree with that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, what we do in our organization is map the values of other organizations or teams or even nations. We map the values of 27 nations. In fact, I just came back last night from Turkey where we're mapping the values of Turkey. And um, it's all about um, bringing every individual into alignment. And as you bring each individual into alignment, it affects the whole. Their shift in energy affects the energy of the whole. And there is a built-in mechanism, because we're so, all souls having this human experience. People delight in that experience. They delight in talking about their values. They delight in transformation as they let go of their fears. Who wouldn't delight in letting go of their subconscious fears? And so as we each do that, our community changes, our organizations change, and our nations change. Yes, and I think that that, that is a really um, good good way to close things off here because, in my view, we need to integrate these original, these new ideas, but really these old, old-time uh, perennial ideas – into our lives, this idea that we're more than just a physical being, that there's a soul at the base of of existence, that we need to attend to our inner needs, and ultimately, uh, let's face it, if we reach that level, that that highest level where we where we're in the serving mode, where we're looking to others for our fulfillment, or we're trying to serve others, that can only be a good thing. Uh, Richard, uh, in, why don't you just give a little um, blurb on how to f- how people could find your book and any other 
information about what you're up to. Okay, so thanks, Phil, for that opportunity. Um, I have a website called richardbarrett.net. That's B-A-R-R-E-T-T, all one word, richardbarrett.net. And you can find my books there. You can find videos there. You can find presentations there. You can find podcasts there, similar to the show that we're doing today. And if you do richardbarrett.net slash capital E-S-D, Ego Soul Dynamics, richardbarrett.net slash ESD. You'll find the the workshop that I'm doing on this book in, in Tuscany in Italy in May next year where I'm going to do a four-day workshop that goes into depth and into practical experiences with people about learning how to be a soul living in a three-dimensional material body. Boy, that sounds like a lot of fun. I wish I, 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 wish I could meet you there. So, Richard, thank you so much. You're, you're one of the best guests I've, I've had on this show and it's really it's always enjoyable talking with you this is philip camella this is conversations beyond science and religion and we'll see you next time you've been listening to conversations beyond science and religion hosted by philip camella to find out more about philip and his book the collapse of materialism visit the collapse of materialism.com 